and welcome to the Surely Can't Be Serious podcast with Jason Colvin and James D. Graves. This is Melissa Mingle, friend of the show and Patreon member, quite certain that today, as always, they will give us a bit of a laugh and blow our minds. One quick secret, not really British, but sometimes after I listen to the show, I feel like I could be. Thanks, guys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. And the music you are hearing might make you dance with yourself. <laughs> could be dancing with me, you could be dancing with Jason, but either way, as long as you're dancing, we've done our job here. That's right. I just want everybody to know it's a nice day to start again. Yeah. Well, I'm starting with black leather. I went ahead and bleached my hair completely blonde, spiked it up. I grew the beard out for this Easy Top episode. I'm now full punk rock. I like the peroxide you got going. <laughs> nice. Do you know that was accidental, by the way? Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah. It was you sent the- me that clip. I, I could not believe that. They were going to do... Blue. Yeah, it was going to be blue right you got to bleach it all the way to add the blue coloring and his girlfriend or whoever it was that was going to do that for him she bleached it white and then looked in her purse like oh crap i forgot the blue Mm -hmm. i guess she'll just have to be white for a couple of days and he's like you know what it's kind of works i kind of like it well he went to band practice like he was he had started with generation x at that point and they had a different lead singer and the lead singer immediately came over he's like you're not going to leave it like that right your hair is he's he's like no it's gonna he's like really because you can't leave it like that he's like no i'm gonna he's like it's important (laughs) that it not stay like that he's like okay i'll change it but by the time the conversation was over he was like he's worried about me stealing the thunder that's it and sure enough he done did steal the thunder because he took over as lead singer not too long after that like i am changing this no way no how (laughs) it provokes a reaction even by all of the radio stations of the early 80s sure sure today we're covering (laughs) billy idol we're going through his second album rebel yell Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love the yells. I love that he's got a great sneer and a great yell. So I'm excited to talk about this. This is one of those pivotal albums of my youth, 1983, big time. This was all over MTV. He was as much of an icon as the ZZ Top guys. I mean, their beards and sunglasses, he, he had that kind of image logo just as much with his bleached, spiked hair and his leather punk style. Let me ask you this. So we both agree that image for both of these groups that we we're talking about last week, this week was huge, especially on early MTV. So are they the same band without the image? In this time period in history, there's no way to say because image became synonymous with sound. It was everything. It was everything. In the, in the 1980s with the birth of MTV, if you had an unimpressive image, you were not going to do as well, even if your music was better. Just ask John Oates. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, I mean, that's just, and he, I can still remember the interview where he was complaining about it and Madonna was sitting next to him and she's like, listen. Listen, we put on stage shows. This has always been a visual medium as well as a sound medium. This is the way it is now. You need to just buck it up. It sure is. You know, Nikki Six talked about this when we, we did our Girls, Girls, Girls episode. There was a time period from about 19, late 1981, I would say until about 85, 86, when every kid in America listened to the exact 
same quote unquote radio station, and that was MTV. Okay, before we get going on Rebel Yell track by track, we are going to talk about our top three songs that are not on Rebel Yell, all right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll, te- we'll treat these like our top five episodes. Guys, if you haven't heard those episodes, they're some of our most fun episodes to do. But what the way we do it is we tease it up a little bit, see if we can get the other guy to guess what we're thinking, all right? And I can't wait. I'm starting this one. I can't, I'm not going to let you steal the thunder for okay, me. All right, all right. Okay, you ready? Okay, yeah. Okay. This video for this song was directed by David Fincher. I love that nugget. Let's punt that one down the road for a minute. <laughs> I'm going to keep going, and you just tell me when it comes up because okay. I don't have these in any particular right, well, order. Go ahead right? then. Okay. So I'll, for the for the people out there who don't know yet, the clips from the movie Ford Fairlane were used in this movie, but they didn't have any of Andrew Dice Clay because he had been banned from MTV. That's right, he had been. The young lady of who appeared in this video was 18 or 19, so you don't have to feel quite as bad about how you might have felt about her when you watch this video. Yeah. And the clips of Billy Idol were all on picture frames from the waist up because he was still suffering the effects of the motorcycle accident he had had earlier that year. Shot him from the waist up. The song, of course, is... Cradle of Love. Yeah, so this one came off the Charmed Life album in 1990. Man, 1990, I'm 15 years old. I could not get enough of this video. This girl was basically my age. Yeah. And I was like, man, this girl is smoking hot. Yep. And uh, I think it got an award at the MTV Music Awards, like uh, Sexiest Video or something like that. It was the best video from, it was nominated for several things. One best video for video uh, music from a movie. But Billy Idol and the actress, her last name's George, Betsy George. Betsy Lynn George. Betsy Lynn George. Betsy Lynn's, God. She was in Point Break. She was a party girl. Girl at party, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they recreated the uh, sexy scene for the MTV Video Music Awards. My number three. Go for it. All right, so this video has people slapping their butts to the beat. <laughs> you have a bloody ring, and of course you have longtime girlfriend Perry Lister as the bride. Not only was Perry Lister the bride in this one, and not only was it really her finger actually getting cut, which they edited out of the MTV video because they didn't want to see that, but she also uh, switched clothes and she was one of the black leather butt slappers, if you will. This, of course, is White Wedding. It's a nice day for a white wedding. It's a nice day to... Okay, number two. Okay, this is the last one left for me because I had White Wedding on my list as well. Oh, shoot, okay. It's probably a foregone conclusion since we haven't mentioned it yet, but the idea for this video came about when Generation X was touring over in Japan and they saw some of the young residents of Tokyo at a disco dancing in front of mirrors, looking at mirrors. They were, in fact, dancing with themselves. Got it. It's a reflection, and the mirror's reflection. I'm a dancer with myself. When there's no one else inside I think the crowd in lonely night Well, I wait so long for my love vibration And I'm dancing all with myself I'm dancing all with myself Okay, my number two is different. Oh, whoa, we got a, Yeah, we, we got, got, we got f- one stray here. Now, 
I will tell you this. This came out in 1987. I think it hit number one in 1987. Okay. It was played at all my junior high dances, right? Okay. So this this is, of course, Moni Moni. You know why he redid Moni Moni? I do. I tell, do. Tell me that story. So when he was 15 years old and he was uh, losing his virginity to some unknown girl in the back of a warehouse, the song playing in the background was Moni Moni by Tommy James and the Shardells. And the Shards? <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not. Moni Moni, you know what that is? When Tommy James wrote this song, he was driving past a billboard that said Mutual of New York. <laughs> True story. Wow. Moni Moni. Wow. And then my number one, of course, is Cradle of Love. All right. You ready to jump into the album track Let's by track? dive in. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to begin the story of young William Michael Albert Broad, a literature student studying at university at Sussex. His parents were devout Anglicans. Yep. And a very nice British folk. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to slip into the accents. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying. But before we go into all of the historical details, let's just jump into this song. But normally we play a little bit and then we talk about it. But I got to say something on this one. Yeah. Before the music starts here, this song began with the beat. The boom, boom at the beginning. It didn't have that little intro though that Steve Stevens does. And the manager of the band said, we need to kind of give them a, hey, here's what's coming feel. And it's very small. But if you listen, it's just like the army is approaching, you know, here it comes, get ready for it. Boom, boom. lip curls up just listening to this song my fist goes up i'm pumping i'm jumping this is an incredible song from the early 80s right here this is iconic you can't help but like start bobbing your head because this is an incredibly great intro to an incredibly great album Okay, so before we get into the making of this song, Keith Forsey was the producer on this album. Yes. He's kind of like the third member of the band here. 100%. We've talked about Keith Forsey several times now. Big in the making of the Top Gun soundtrack and also our Patreon episode that we had on Don't You Forget About Me. we got to talk a little bit about Keith Forsey. So Keith Forsey was Giorgio Moroder's drummer. And if you remember, he played drums and all the Donna Summer stuff, all the disco stuff. He wrote the Irene Cara song for Flashdance. Keith Forsey wanted Billy Idol to do Don't You Forget About Me because he had just produced his album a couple years before. By 
the way, do you remember who Keith Forsey's wife is? I've, I've lost it. I don't remember. Okay. He married Karen Elaine Morton, who played Jenny in 8675309 video. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yes, that's right. Another World, Patreon episode. Another Patreon episode that we talked about. And she's famous for... Being a Playboy Playmate? With the smallest... Oops. Yep. That's <laughs> it. Miss July 1978. Yeah. Guys, if you haven't checked out our Patreon page yet, we cover all kinds of one-hit wonders there for our Patreon members. You can become a Patreon member and join our happy little community for as little as five bucks a month and get access to all of those episodes that we've done and all the ones that are coming up. And it is a great family that we are a part of. Those guys, we communicate with them all and it's just great fun to have our Patreon members. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com backslash Shirley Podcast. That's S-U-R-E-L-Y Podcast. And join up join the fun. Steve Stevens, who we haven't talked about yet, was the guitar player for Billy Idol. They got together. He was a vital part of the success because he brought in that rocker edge to this pop punk thing that they had going on. They bring it all together and you have these wonderful punk rock pop songs. Okay, so here's the interesting thing about Rebel Yell. So Billy is over at Ronnie Wood's house. Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones. Yes. And it's his birthday party. And he's there with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and they're all sharing swigs off of a bottle of Rebel Yell whiskey. That is where the name of the song and the album come from. So they had been working on this song, but they didn't have any lyrics. They were just working on the beat and working on the music. And he came back the next day and ran into Steve Stevens. He's like, oh, dude, I got the title. I got it. And Steve Stevens was like, what is it? What is it? He's like, Rebel Yell. And they were like, oh. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a great one. It's perfect for the album. It's perfect for the song. Yeah, apparently Billy Idol and Ronnie Wood became fast friends. Everybody liked to party hard at that time in history, and those were two party buddies, if you will. I think Ronnie Wood did like a portrait. Like, he's a painter, too, you know? He's not just a musician. Yeah, yeah. He had done a portrait of Billy Idol because, well, Billy's a pretty man. He's a good-looking dude, and from what I can tell, he seems like a really genuinely fun guy to hang out with. Yeah. You and I both agree he's super smart. He's creative. He's funny. He's happy. Have you ever seen a punk guy more happy in your life? (laughs) No. Okay, I don't know if you know this or not. Steve Stevens, combined with Ronnie Wood, created an album in the 80s. Oh, yeah. That has never seen the light of day. Yeah, well, you never know, given what they were into in the 80s, whether that's a good thing or bad thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I loved, just back to the song, listening to the intro guitar piece to the song. I love listening to Billy Idol talk about this because, of course, he didn't start with Steve Stevens. He had Tony James in Generation X, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. And then he they split ways, and then ultimately he ended up with Steve Stevens. And then ultimately he and Steve split ways for a while anyway. Long time, yeah. yeah. And I love listening to Billy talk because, you know, he talks about the other guitarist he had after Steve Stevens, and he's complimentary. He's like, they're, they're very good. But right. Steve Stevens is a step above. I love the way he put it. He goes, if you listen to the beginning of Rebel Yell, it's just Steve and a guitar. And any other time I have to perform that live, it has to be two guitarists, two guitars. Steve Stevens is like having two guitar players at once. Yeah. I mean, he is an unsung hero in the rock god world. Yeah, for sure. We talked about Steve Stevens when we discussed Dirty Diana by Michael Jackson. We also talked about him in our Top Gun soundtrack episode. Yep. Where he plays the Top Gun anthem. Once again, I mean, Giorgio Moroder's had his hands all over that album. He knows Keith Forsey. Keith Forsey knows Steve Stevens. And you can see how that just slides right into place. Steve Stevens talks about how that beginning part of Rebel Yell, he says, I can go anywhere in the world. I play that little intro before the song even starts. People recognize it. And as an instrumentalist, it's like my proudest moment. 
It's awesome. This only reached number 46 on the Hot 100. Can't I can't believe it. What? Well, again, though, when we keep going back and we look at these, and I mean, I realize that we just do it when we're when they're in like the top 10 or whatever. Sure. But wait, wait, wait. Do you want the top 45 real quick? Do you have it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, I was texting with Chris Weber the other day when we did our ZZ Top episode, and I said, oh, give me all your love and only reach number 45 or whatever. He's like, I really thought you were going to go through the top 45. <laughs> 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 Sorry to disappoint you, Chris. But this time in history was the biggest, like you had the best songs of all time. Yeah. Right? I mean, you've got you've got great stuff for the 20th century, for sure. But, I mean, the amount of money that the record companies had at this point, the encyclopedic volumes that musicians had to pull from, from the rock and roll catalog at this point, I mean, it results in some of the best music in all of history. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, it only got 46. Yeah, probably should have gotten higher. I bet if we looked at the other 45, we're going to go, yeah, a lot of these are old and forgotten. Sure. And this one lasts. This one lasts, for sure. Huge staple early MTV. We didn't talk about the video on this. Oh, yeah. So the video is like a live performance. Right. And they got the director from the guy who did uh, some of the Who videos. What they did was they put an ad in the paper in New York, and they were like, hey, there's going to be a concert. If you're a Billy Idol fan, it's going to be a short video-produced thing. I love this, But come out. And so at that time in history, he wasn't the guy that he is now. He wasn't the icon. This is the album that broke him huge, right? Right, right. And so the people that showed up for that concert were the true Billy Idol fans. And they basically, by being in that video, they set the stage for what Billy Idol fans should look like. I love and they it. set a style. Yeah, so everybody else looking at the video goes, that's how those fans act. That's how those fans dress. And so places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, we know, okay, you gotta, you gotta have the lip and the fist and the... That's how you do it. Yeah. You listen to Adam Sandler, who, of course, put Billy Idol in one of his movies. The Wedding Singer. Yes. You listen to him, and he was like, yeah, I think like maybe one out of every 30 people at my high school had the Billy Idol fashion sense going on. Yeah. One more thing. Rebel Yell Whiskey is no longer called Rebel Yell Whiskey. To me, that's just insanity because you have somebody on the radio station every 10 minutes singing a commercial for you. Yeah, exactly. They changed it to Rebel Whiskey. Okay. Because they wanted to back away from the Confederate thing. Okay. It seems like they dropped the wrong word. I was going to say, what are we going to say? Shouldn't they call it yell? (laughs) Call it yellow belly is what it sounds like (laughs) to me. I don't know. So there you go. Okay, moving on to the next song. The next song on the album is called Daytime Drama. All right, so this song has an awesome bass line. Yeah. Right? I mean, it is it is, it is, is a sweet little bass line, and Steve Stevens totally stole it. I know, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, so there's a song by the group Yes called Heart of the Sunrise, right? And it's got a, it's got a, a bit of an intro to it, but then once you hear the bass line, once it comes in, you're like, oh, yep, same, same old bass line. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you're going to steal from somebody, you might as well steal from the best, right? I mean, but seriously, think about this. You've got a pop producer. You got a guy whose roots are in punk, but has, you know, he's got he's got a pretty big music catalog. I'll say this for Billy Idol: he is a very intelligent guy. Yeah, like I mean, hedonistic and doing all the rock star stuff. But that's because that's what he decided he wanted to do, and he did it. But he's a smart, smart guy. So his music catalog is much bigger than punk. But I'm a little surprised. And you got rocker, of course. I love listening to Steve Stevens because he's, he, I'm going to talk about it in a minute. He's listening to Run DMC back when they were first I know. coming into the scene in New York City. Def Dave just perked up right there. <laughs> <laughs> but then you pull from this progressive rock group like Yes and a very unique sound and you make it into a Billy Idol song. It's awesome. It's really cool. By the way, I've watched a whole bunch of videos on Billy Idol. The dude is always having a great time. He had drugs and girls and motorcycles. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he had one horrible accident, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, you know, Motley Crue, Vince Neil killed a guy, you know? Uh-huh. Guns and Roses, you had people overdose and almost die. And you had people die and, you know, had strokes and it had all these terrible things. Billy Idol is like the greatest endorsement for drugs I've ever seen in my life because <laughs> he seems like he's having a ball. Yeah, he doesn't really apologize for it either. I it was literally the beginning of his autobiography is just like, yeah, okay, so I was doing this drug called GHL or something. Right. I don't remember what it was, but it was just like, it's a steroid that uh, it can render you comatose bad enough that your friends are going to be calling the morgue because they think you're dead. And he was laughing the whole time he was telling about it. <laughs> It is great stuff. Hey, um, I got I got a nugget for you. I, go ahead. I'm yeah. bursting at the seams to oh, give this good. to I'm you. Oh, good. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. You ready for this? Yeah. So he's well known for, during this time, it's an endless stream of motorcycles and girls and cocaine and ecstasy and heroin and quaaludes and everything you can possibly think of, right? Mm-hmm. So he moves into a bungalow at Hollywood's Chateau Marymount. You know this story? No. And he was out of his mind on drugs. Mm-hmm. And so he destroys this room. Well, he hears police sirens and he's like, starts to panic. He's like, crap, they're coming for me. And he's standing there buck naked, waiting for them to kick in the front door, thinking they've had enough of this crazy rock star. They're coming to get me, throw me out on my butt. And I'm bare ass naked. Well, they run right past his door and he's like, huh, what are what they're doing? Turns out they were going just a few doors down where John Belushi was having his fatal overdose. Oh, Wow. That is the mind-blowing fact of the episode, sir. Wow. Thank you. Wow. By the way, Steve Stevens talks about, I mean, he's well-known. He does all these guitar effects in his songs, and he got it kind of from Jimi Hendrix, right? Well, the the idea, I mean, Jimi Hendrix kind of invented a lot of sounds, but the, the idea was, if you're going to use an effect, use it. Go all the way, man. Yeah. Don't, don't don't twiddle with it. Every time I hear Dirty Diana, I'm like, somebody is really tweaking that mixing board on that. Yeah. Like, yep. I put in a guitar effect, you're going to know it. All right, next track on the album, big one, Eyes Without a Face. Best song in the album, D. I love this song. It is too beautiful, and the title comes from a French horror movie. Yeah. 
okay, let's talk about the inception of the song. Yeah. Steve Stevens, as big of a rock god as he was, literally was living in his parents' basement when they were recording this <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. I love and it. he's he says the only radio station that I could get down there was like the CBS mainstream radio station, which was just playing old fifties stuff. So I'm listening to all these doo-wop and other fifties style songs, but I'm thinking, oh, these are actually some kind of pretty cool little chord progressions. And so he one night, you know, listens to that, figures out a few of them, comes back in. He says it's a simple song. So he took those chord progressions and he, you know, augmented them a little bit, made it, you know, made it a seven or a minor seven or something like that. And he said he's playing with, with it whenever Billy comes in and he's like, let me see what you think of this. And he played it in such a way that he wasn't telling him if this is doo-wop music, you know? Sure. And Billy's like, oh, I like that. I actually, I've got something in my notebook. And Billy keeps a lyrics notebook with him. Yeah. And he's like, this is the music that needs to go behind this idea of eyes without a face from this movie that I've seen. Do you know the plot of this movie? Just uh, in passing. I mean, there, there's a, a woman whose face is horribly damaged. That's part of what the plot line so is. So here yeah. it is. There's a plastic surgeon and his daughter is horribly disfigured. And so the plastic surgeon murders people and like takes part of their face in order to try and reconstruct her face. But in the end, all she's left with originally is her eyes. Uh. And it's like this horrible Frankenstein type of thing. Eyes without a face. Eyes without a face. Got no human grace. By the way, I called Melissa Mingle. Mm -hmm. Perry Lister is singing background vocals on this song. That's her in back billy idol's girlfriend and baby mama if we're if we're not keeping track here yes and burlesque dancer and yeah she's the bride in white wedding and she's all over the place but she is saying les you sans visage oh you got that from melissa mingle huh i did i called way, i did I call melissa say, mingle. is there any way we can get her to send in the sound clip on that one because i'd like to hear her say it instead of you <laughs> i sent it to her phonetically i'm like am i saying this right <laughs> and that is french for eyes without a face that's awesome I want to talk about the middle part of this song. Okay. So you you have this beautiful ballad, and then you have this really crunchy, heavy rock riff that comes in in the middle, mm -hmm. and then you add rap right right in there. Yeah. So this part, I think it makes another appearance in the Top Gun anthem. We have the same breakdown, kind of. It sounds very similar. Yep. And because they had gone to, they had seen Run DMC in concert. They had seen Grandmaster Flash. They Blondie had done her thing. Let me give you the story on that. Okay. So Steve Stevens is in a guitar store he's getting his he's getting his guitar fixed yeah and there's some other dude there playing guitar and i mean steve stevens is who he is but here's this guy and he's like dang this guy's good yeah. he's really good and so he goes and introduces himself the guy's name is eddie martinez okay eddie martinez played the guitar on virtually all of the run dmc songs before they pulled in the guy from slayer right you know? <laughs> carrie uh, king yeah yes so so eddie is kind of the guy that's like hey you should come see because he said back then you know i would go in and i'd see a show and it was the first time i was seeing turntables on the stage but they still had a drum player they still had a, a guitarist and he was the guy who was playing guitar he would go on this is for you he would go on to be the guitarist for the big robert palmer songs of the late 80s 
Sweet. Yes. But Steve Stevens said after he saw that first Run DMC concert, he immediately bought tickets to, to the show the next night because he needed to come back and see him. He said seeing those guys in the uniforms, the leather that they had, it was like seeing the Beatles for the first time. There you go. Run DMC. Yeah. Flashback to our Run DMC versus Beastie Boys episode we did with Def Dave. By the way, I've got a killer story for you. Okay. But before I get there, I have to tell you, this song reached number four in the Hot 100. And I told you last week that I thought Legs at number eight may have been on the best top 10 yeah. uh, of the 80s. Yeah. Well, I changed my answer. Oh, okay. I think we've got an improvement, but it's virtually the same time. It's like one week off. Okay. okay. Yeah. So here's the top 10 on July 14th, 1984, where everybody in the entire country is listening to the same radio station, MTV. Here you go. Yep. Number 10 is Legs. Number nine is Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis. Number eight. Ghostbusters. Number seven, Almost Paradise by Mike Reno and Ann Wilson from Footloose. Number six is Self-Control by Laura Branigan, which was a big song in 1984. I have it downloaded. It's one of my favorites. I um, love Laura Branigan. <laughs> Tell me more. Number five is The Reflex by Duran Duran. Ooh. Number four, Eyes Without a Face. Number three, Jump for My Love. Number two, Dancing in the Dark. And number one, When Doves Cry. So, boys and girls, if you're listening with your parents right now, there was a time in history when the top 10 albums and singles were not all by Taylor Swift. Golly, don't get me started on that. <laughs> okay, I, I got to talk a little bit about the music on this one because yeah. it is such a beautiful song. If you look at the personnel on this one, they've got a different bass player. Okay. So Steve Webster was the guy that they typically used as the bass player. He was a bass player for Miles Davis, who would be recording there. And they were recording at the Electric Ladyland studio. And so he was recording there as well. But for this one, he wasn't, he just wasn't getting the right sound. And there was a guy named Sal Cuevas who had done, he'd done some Broadway musical stuff, but he was just a different type of bass player. And they brought him in. He said he had big old guy, bass hung low, and he had these big... Big old thick fingers, and when he played it, they knew in the first two bars, this is our guy. So you've got a different sounding bass in this one. And then Steve Stevens said, and we, we felt like it still needed something else. And so you've got this, you've got a unique sounding guitar in here. It's actually a 12 string, but at the time, Steve Stevens didn't own a 12 string. So he had to get like a rented one that <laughs> he said the, the, the strings were all rusty. They were like two feet above the fretboard. You know, I'm just playing this nasty old 12 string guitar. He goes, I've bought one for myself since then. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him talking about that. I'm like, Steve? Steven's freaking rock icon had to rent a guitar to play on this song. Yeah. It's crazy. So Kathy and I were listening to Eyes Without a Face the other day. The rap in the middle, she was like, what is he saying there about reading murder books and stuff like that? And I'm like, Psh, I have no idea. So we look at the lyrics. Sure enough, it talks about reading murder books. Steve Stevens said that he basically just went right off the top of his head, wrapped out those lyrics, just ad-libbed it. Ad libbed it. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's how Billy Idol rolled, man. So to me, that is amazing that he just rolled out those lyrics for a rap right kind of in the middle. I've got a great story for you on this, okay? Yep. So the music video, it's all smoke machines and fire and, you know, bright lights and all this stuff. Do you know the story? No, keep going. Okay. So you have this marathon three-day shoot for this video, and it's one of the iconic videos of the time. During this time, Billy Idol had stayed up three days while his contacts fused to his eyeballs. Oh, my gosh. And he had to go to the hospital. They actually had to remove his contact lenses from his eyes, and he had three days where he had bandages over his eyes where he couldn't use his eyes. So essentially, he had a face with no eyes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
That was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, are we done with that one? Yeah, we got to keep rolling. We got to keep rolling down the blue highway. Talk about bringing the pop to punk, baby. This is pop poppy. Poppity pop pop. Well, you get the Steve Stevens guitar in there. Mm-hmm. The 80s keys are really what kind of set it apart as that that pop feel. Yeah. This song's good. This is one of the better songs on the album, for sure. Okay. It's not my personal favorite, but the solo at the end is amazing. Right. You know we're gonna ride on a blue highway. Walk with the nature of Billy Idol and Keith Forsey said, Steve, why don't you just close us out with a killer guitar solo? Yeah. Go to town, man. And so normally the way that it works when you're doing a recording, especially with a big guitar solo, is you're going to mic the amp, right? You're okay. going gonna to play through the amp, and you're putting a microphone in front of the amp to get the sound, because it's the, that's the way the best sound is created. But for a lot of like demos and just basic recordings, you'll use a rock band box, which is basically you just plug straight in. You don't, you're not going through the amp or whatever. Okay. And so he was just trying to kind of get an idea. He was kind of doing the, the Steve Lou third noodling at the end of the Lionel Richie song, you know? He's yeah, like, yeah. Okay. So he just plays this rockin' solo through this bandbox, and he's happy with it. Like, he's good, but he's like, okay, so now that we've got it, let me plug the amp in, and I'll just replay it, and Billy Idol's like, the f*** you will... <laughs> That was perfect, and we are wow. not we are not changing it. So this awesome solo is like a base, like it's a basic. It's a we are plugged straight in. We are not using a mic amp. We are just using our, our basic thing, and it's still incredible. They use this solo when they perform it live. Typically, we'll go into the Top Gun theme. I know I, that kills. Me. I want to see that, you know, to go right from this song right into Maverick throwing Goose's dog tags into the <laughs> to the ocean, you know. So a lot of the songs on this, well, I mean, it, we've said it before. It's just three guys, and none of those guys are drummers, right? Yeah. And so some of the songs you you pretty well just have the Lind drum track, and then you've got a live drummer that might play over it or something from time to time. With this one, they were like, we really need that live drummer sound, and they had several guys that they went through that they just couldn't find the right guy and then it just so happened this band named Scandal was playing next door heck yeah Scandal the Warrior yeah they hear those guys play and they're like hey who's playing the drums over there right who is that guy because he was loud and he was good and once again brought him in they said play over this they said two bars we knew this is our guy (laughs) that guy's name is tommy price tommy price this song's a little repetitive for me i like it but we go through the the blue highways you know several times to me, this is like him trying to give a little bit of a departure from the, the punk stuff and speed stuff that had come before, which I think was probably good at the time, but I think probably hasn't aged as well as a lot of these other tracks have. Sure. This was added way late, and where they were working on this song is a small rehearsal studio. This guy held the elevator for him, and when he got on the elevator, he looked over and it was Miles Davis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, hello, sir. <laughs> hey, you're Miles Davis. 
Hit stop on your tape player, kick it out, flip it over. But before you do, D, do you know that if you had the vinyl copy of this album, uh-huh. side one was actually side three, <laughs> and side two was side four. Okay. Why? I don't know. Okay. Because, right. you know, Billy Idol, that's why. All right. Well, odd. Hit stop on your tape player, kick it out, flip it over, side four, and we started off with Flesh for Fantasy. Well, there's a change of pace. Fantasy and taste Do you like good music? Do you like to dance? I love this song. I really, really, I love the the cool intro. I mean, this is an obvious drum machine that we've got playing here. But then that cool slide, it's very Genesis sounding to me. Oh, okay. I dig it. I think this is great. Another song title that comes from an old movie. This is from an old 1943 movie called Flesh and Fantasy, uh, starring uh, Edward G. Robinson and Barbara Stanwyck, I think. <laughs> Edward G. Robinson, if you've ever watched Bugs Bunny, he's the guy. Sure. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fresh. Fresh for fantasy. Here's a little trivia tidbit for you on this one. When he was recording the vocal for this, he was holding a copy of the book Venus and Furs. Okay, yeah. That's how the Velvet Underground got their name. Yeah, that's right. I know nothing about this book, but we talked about how Billy Isle is super intelligent. I mean, he majored in literature. Yeah. So obviously a very well-read guy, and he was reading Venus and Furs while he was recording. Well, and we haven't really talked about that. You know, like he's always, he's for his whole life been the guy who's like breaking the rules, like kicked out of the Boy Scouts for making out with a girl in front of the scout troop. I know. (laughs) Sure, why not? Also a guy who, though he didn't, wasn't a particularly admired student by his teachers, which is, by the way, where he got his name. We, we got to talk about that. He, the teacher wrote, Billy is idle. I-D-L-E. So that kind of was a bit of an inspiration for him. But of course, you've got the Monty Python actor, Eric Idle. Eric Idle so he's right. like, oh, that's a little too, bit, too close. But hey, if I want to be an idol, I might as well call myself an idol. And so that's, that's where he got the name. And then, of course, he's gone. His dad was a, a salesman and kind of had his own company. They lived in the suburbs. Nice, not poor life, you know. Uh, Tony James, his guitarist, said the same thing. We were both kids who had a good life from the suburbs who decided uh, yeah. we wanted to be in a rock band. But he's up at university in Sussex. And I think it's the drummer, the guy, a friend of his, basically gets in tune with the punk scene and sends him this article. And he says, I think this is it. I think this is the wave of the future. And Billy sees his opportunity to go, this is how I can dive into my rock and roll dream. Yeah, he said that when he had the conversation with his dad that he was going to drop out of college and go be in a punk rock band, his dad never heard the term punk rock before. Yeah. That's how early on this was. It really was. And they, I mean, punk rock was more than just a sound. It was an attitude. It was a reaction. It was a rebellion. But what he wanted to do is absolutely what he did with it. He wanted to give it a more appealing sound and a more appealing look. So he had developed that 
punk style, but like the police, he was like, I have guys who can play their instruments, and I am an intelligent enough guy to write lyrics that are, are meaningful beyond just, you know, rebel against the man. And so that's how, and, and he also had a dance disability and a good look, which meant that you had girls showing up. So it was an entirely different feel. But can I tell this story now? Sure, go ahead. We're the Gen X generation, you and I. Yes, tell me. But for Billy Idol, we probably wouldn't have that name. He coined that name? No. Okay. This is how it goes. This is this is such a, a weird kind of coincidence of events, right? Okay. So they're just starting the band and they're trying to figure out a name for a band. And there is a book came out in 1964. The authors are a couple of journalists, one named Jane Deverson, the other one named Charles Hamblett. And the name of their book is called Generation X. And it was a bunch, it was like a series of interviews with like the mod generation, the really the baby boomers. This was a book about the baby boomers called, they just called it Generation X. Okay. Well, as it turned out, Billy's mother bought a copy of that book. So as they've been going to band practices and such, they all the band members come back to Billy's house to grab a sandwich or whatever. Sure. And Tony James sees that book on the shelf and he's like, what about this? Why don't we use this as our name? And I'm like, Perfect. So naming the band Generation X happened 15 years or so before they started calling our actual generation Gen X. But here's the rest of the story. The reason that we're called Gen X is based on a book that came out called Generation X Tales from an Accelerated Culture came out in 1991. And the book was by a guy named Doug Copeland. And he specifically said Generation X, the name of his book, is taken from the name of Billy Idol's punk band of the late 70s. Stop it. That is a gold nugget right there, man. Yeah. Weird sequence of events. Yep. Wow. Okay, so I want to drop this in really quick. I know we're, we're still talking about Flesh for Fantasy, which is the third <laughs> single, and it reached number 29 on the Hot 100. So it's a modest hit. Yeah. You know, Billy Idol was also an actor. Oliver Stone wanted him to have a prominent part in the movie The Doors. Yeah, if you're familiar with the movie, it's the Michael Madsen part. Right, but he was in this horrible motorcycle accident, yep. which I mean, I guess we might as well talk about right now. So after he had completed the Charmed Life album, which had Cradle of Love on it, he went home. Everybody wanted to have a party, but he was all partied out, which is very odd for Billy Idol because he was always <laughs> the life of the party, right? Right. Went home, took some sleeping pills. Okay, Because he had been doing so many drugs, he couldn't fall asleep. Exactly. So he took some sleeping pills to counteract all the drugs that he did. Well, it's not working. So like a wise person, he decides, I'm going to go ride my motorcycle. He was going back to the studio to listen to the album. He wanted to hear the completed album yeah which i can't blame him for that but as he's going back to the studio he gets drilled by a car and he runs his, a stop sign he runs a stop sign and gets hammered by a car uh-huh. and breaks his leg in three places and his tibia is sticking out of his skin yeah they almost had to take his leg yeah i mean it's very very close i can't believe the doctor said this out loud but they called him down the specialist called him down and he's like why are you calling me down for this bum <laughs> whoa and they're like sir this is Billy Idol. <laughs> he is one of the biggest rock musicians. And he's like, oh, all right. Well, like, w w you're supposed to give better care to the rock musician? How I does guess. That I what? Wow. But, but yeah, I mean, it was, he spent a long time, because it wasn't just the bones being broken. It was skin grafts. It was all, I mean, he was in serious danger of losing his leg. I saw the hole in his leg, like where the 
the skin where the bone exited his body. Yeah. It looked like a like an alien egg, you know, the the flowering open of that. Ooh. It was it was nasty. Gross. It was nasty. Yeah, so he he lost the ability to do the part in the movie. He this is why you don't see the bottom half of him in Cradle of Love. Right. And did you know this? He was supposed to be the T-1000 I, in Terminator I was 2. hoping to drop that bomb on you, but I want to go to the Alternate Universe video store and rent Terminator 2 with Billy Idol as the T-1000. Yeah. Cameron wanted him for that part. Yeah, but, but it came down to Cameron saying, can you run? And Billy going, no, nope, I can't. And and I, God bless him, because when he said it, he goes, but I mean, seriously, can you imagine the cold steel face of Robert Patrick? I couldn't have pulled that off. Right. It, like, it's better with him in it instead of me. So, I, even as, you know, hedonistic wow. and crazy as he is, he's a man with some humility. I like it. Oh, he's great, man. I love, I love you. Yeah, really great. By the way, so somewhere between when Charmed Life had finished recording, he flew to Bangkok. This is before the accident. So, he was in Thailand for three weeks. Okay. So he's in Thailand for three weeks, and he said that in Thailand, you go to the pharmacy, you order whatever you want. There, there's no legality. I mean, you, hey, I'll take three of those and six of those and nine of those. One night in Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> so he destroyed a hotel penthouse, cost 140000 And when a foreign dignitary came to, you know, he was next in line for the vacancy that Billy Idol was exiting. They said, you need to leave. And Billy Idol was like, I'm not leaving. And they said, yes, you are. And he's like, no, I'm not. So they called the army and the army tied him up, dragged him and escorted him out of the country. <laughs> On a stretcher. <laughs> tied him down. Strapped him up, man. Drug him off. Hannibal Idol, if you will. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. I love it. So as they're putting together this song, it really has a very Motown feel to it. Like it's got a an R&B feel to it. And they were worried. They were like, this is not the punk or the rock or the pop or anything else. This is a different sound. And I don't know that we can get away with it. And they said it was an A&R guy that came in, a guy named Jeff Aldridge. And he said, let the song be what it is. And that's how they get this song. Steve Stevens, I haven't looked at the chords on this, but I'm, I'm, Steve Stevens call, calls them very strange and complex chords. And if he's saying that, then they must be pretty strange yeah, really. and complex, right? Yep. But he said that Billy was able to find a melody in that and drive it through in an amazing way that he doesn't even understand. It is truly a, a beautiful sounding song. And then the effects that you get on this one, this comes from several different guys, but one of the key guys is Andy Summers from the police because Andy Summers was doing these kind of ethereal effects on his stuff as well. And Steve Stevens said the song driven to tears had been a big influence on this one. He said he had seen Andy's playing it live. So good. Bought a ticket to watch the show the next night. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. Next song in the album, the fourth single called catch my fall. Okay, this song was written by Billy Idol, by himself. No Steve Stevens involved at all. Billy Idol wrote this song on acoustic guitar, brought it to the sessions, and it is his lone credit on this one. Yeah. I heard Steve Stevens say that this was like Roy Orbison-like. Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. Yeah. Cites this as one of his favorite Billy Idol songs. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So there you go. All right. I like it. This is like the poppiest of the pop. 
about that sweet, sexy sax in this song. This, Songs. Is how, this is how we make this a Christmas episode. Okay. The guy playing the saxophone on this one is a guy named Mars Williams. He is a saxophonist for the Psychedelic Furs, but he also played the saxophone on a very famous Christmas song by the waitresses called Christmas Rapping. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas, and God blesses everyone. Oh, my wife and I love this one. We sing it to each Every time it comes on, we're like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Yeah, and that sax is played by the same guy who plays sax on Catch My Fall. Love it. Nice connection to Christmas right there. Yeah. Okay, next song on the album. This song is called Crank Call. This song is about crank calls, people making crank calls. This is a lost art form, D. We don't have this anymore because of stupid caller ID. You don't call places anymore. You just call people. You remember calling, like, girls in your class and, like, waiting for them to answer and then, like, hanging up just to hear their voice? That was a little too nerdy for me. Yeah? Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Okay. (laughs) Because that was just me. (laughs) Uh, You got a big T-Rex influence on this one. Yep. Yeah. They still play this live. It's a good song. I like it. It's yeah. fun. Pretty 80s. Pretty stuck in its time. It is, but it's it's good. It, it, is, a, it is a good revisit of the 80s. I love it. And uh, apparently, Billy was still trying to sing the lead track on this one the night before they delivered the tapes. That is mind-blowing. Like, the record company's like, hey, this is due at 8 a.m., and he's still working on vocals at 9.30 the night before. Yeah, or 7 in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so just real quick, we didn't really talk much about Generation X, right? But there's a, there's a bit of a history. They, they get together, they do Generation X. Ultimately, he splits off with them. Chrysalis actually says, we're ending your contract at that record company, Chrysalis, right. which is famous from our Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis and uh, the news, episode, that's right. Yeah. Um, but they said, Billy will keep you on as a solo artist. Then, of course, he gets introduced to Steve Stevens and ultimately Keith Forsey. But before that... When he's just moved to New York, he is living in a rat and cockroach infested tenement with Perry Lister, his girlfriend. Like, it's bad. Right. And he's like, and I would just go out at night and try to soak in the scene. Now, before this had happened, remember, Dancing With Myself was a Generation X song. That blew me away. I did not remember that at all. Right. Well, so he's... It didn't do anything as a single when Generation X did it, even though it's a fantastic song. It didn't do anything. Right. Which is why the contract ended. And he's got no money. He's just going around, walking around. And literally, after being there for six months in New York City, he walks into a disco, and they start playing his song. They start playing Dancing With Myself... And he's like, and it's a 20-minute remix, and the crowd is going crazy. He said they were going bananas. Bananas. (laughs) (laughs) And so all of a sudden, that's it. That's the spark that he goes, and they says, how about we do an EP? And the EP has 
Dancing with Myself, which they said they label it as a remix. Yeah, no, it's the same song. Like that's, there's that's insane, there, right? There is no remixing to this. It is the same song. Right? He said people argue with him. Oh yeah, he's like guys, I know it was it's me. the same one. Yeah. It's the same song. We didn't do it. It's the same song. <laughs> and then the other side of that is Moni Moni. Which, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, I thought Moni Moni was like a single from the late 80s, right? Yeah. Well, it turns out they didn't do a lot back then, but then Moni Moni became big later on when they re-released it as part of the new album. By the way, you talk about Perry Lister. They had kind of an open relationship. He would <laughs> he would screw hundreds of girls. Yeah. she. And- it's not. She. I love what she says. She's like, it's not as though I wasn't aware of the other women, but they just weren't in my face. Right. Well, and so that's interesting because the way she caught him having an affair, they had a son together and... They were out by the swimming pool and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go check on our boy. And he goes in the other room and he calls his girlfriend and he forgets about the baby monitor. And when he comes out, he's like, she's stark raving mad. And he's like, <laughs> what just happened? There's no way she could have heard me. And she's like, you're effing baby monitor. Whoops. She took off after that. Yeah. He was like cracking up every time he told this story. He's like, ah, I forgot about the stupid he, baby monitor. He is not apologetic about no. it at all. He is not. He's like, I mean, he will say he's in the wrong, but it's not like he's got remorse about it. He's oh like, my gosh. I was, he was like, you know, they were right to do it. I was terrible, but I didn't blame her at all for yeah, leaving. Exactly. He ultimately moved from New York where they were, they were living like vampires, right? You know, sure. sleep all day, up all night, moved out to LA to, you know, get a little bit of a break. Well, right. Come on guys. <laughs> you don't move to LA to get a break for the right. party scene. You, maybe you get a break from the drugs, but definitely not from the women, right? right? He had an entirely separate house that he kept. He said there would just be, especially after she left, it was orgies like of the Roman days of old, like playboy models, porn stars, Everybody comes out and just goes butt naked wild. Bananas. Yeah. Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we haven't really mentioned the name Heidi Fleiss yet. Okay. He was a client. He was one of those named in that little client thing. When you've got big, big rock musicians going, you had a little bit of an obsession with sex, then you know it's got to be bad. It's got to be bad. Yeah. Okay. Next song in the album is called Do Not Stand in the Shadows. This is a good flamenco sound. Uh, Steve Stevens is an incredible guitarist in so many different genres. And this is that flamenco sound. This is actually the first song that was written for the album. The chorus is great on this one. This actually could have gone on the previous album. Yeah. I mean, it was around for that long, and they were like, well, hold off and keep it for the next one. It's a good link between the two albums. It's got a much faster beat to it. But my favorite part about this one is that Steve said, this is one of the rare songs that we did in D. We just didn't really do songs in D because it's pretty high. And um, <laughs> he goes, I don't know why we didn't think that we could just transpose it down to a different key, just change the key. I mean, people do it all the time, you know, just change the key. For some reason, that just never occurred to us. And he said, uh, for this song, Billy's nuts are really clinched. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, next song, last song on the album is called The Dead Next Door. Watch the sky For reasons why I was so sure Sunday was hot Okay, I love this song. Top three songs on the album right here. Wow. I think it's so moody, it's romantic, it's hooky. It's kind of like the chauffeur from the Duran Duran album, Rio, we talked about. Feels like it needs to be in a John Hughes movie. It does. Well, part of the inspiration on this one was Steve Stevens' love for Tangerine Dream, which we've talked about a few times. Oh, okay, If yeah. you're not familiar, I mean, I love their stuff, but the, the most famous thing they have is the music that's behind the Risky Business L-Train moment, which is just, I mean, the name of the song is Sex on a Train, I think, or something like that. But it's it's... It's very, it's a very electronic sound, right? And so Steve had this effects box called a Lexicon PCM41. And when he would play, it would automatically, at its own pace, play the same note an octave higher and an octave lower. And that's this really cool guitar sound that you're getting. But you weren't really able to adjust the speed of how quickly the echo effect of those notes happened. So on this rare song they couldn't put like a drum machine to it and nobody really knew the sound as well as steve did so steve is the one who's coming in with those little drum beats that pop in throughout the out the music love it yeah great capper to the album yeah it's a great way to exit an album it's like a nice goodbye so long farewell if we just see you on whiplash smile here in a few years right all right d that's gonna do it for rebel yell it's time now for final judgment. You want to go first? Yes. So for me, at this time in history, in 1983, Billy Idol was more in my wheelhouse, for sure. Like, because he was in an MTV gym, and because he had that kind of rocker look, I was more into him than I was into ZZ Top. And so that's that was a big influence on how I viewed these two albums. But ultimately, over time, I became more familiar with ZZ Top's older music. Even the stuff after Eliminator was not really my cup of tea, but because I grew to love what they had so much before and then was really listening to Eliminator with a whole new set of ears going, what are they doing here mixing the blues? Like how how effectively are they mixing the blues sound with that 80s synth sound that they were picking up from Depeche Mode? And then just going, which one do I just like sitting down and listening to more? I gotta say, Eliminator wins out for me in this one. I think that there are big songs on Rebel Yell that are great and iconic, but I think they don't quite have the stay power that the songs on Eliminator have. And so for me, pick is ZZ Top. Okay, basically you're still in the words right out of my mouth. Billy Idol's style, his look, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, hair metal feel to Billy Idol is more in my wheelhouse. I kind of felt like ZZ Top was like my dad's era and Billy Idol was kind of my era. But when you lay these tracks side by side, Eliminator is the better album. Although I love some of the songs off of Rebel Yell. Yeah. Both of these albums are awesome, but for me, it's Eliminator. So coming into it, before we, before you listen to these two again for the first time. Right. What were you thinking you were going to uh, Billy Idol all the way. Yeah. Our study on this has moved the needle for me to ZZ Top. Yeah. Well, great. Well, we want to hear from you guys. Which one is your favorite? What are your top three songs from each one of these artists? We'd love to hear from you on that. The next week, we're doing the best of 1978. 
I cannot tell you how in love with this idea I am. <laughs> I have obsessed over, I mean, I have a list that is 50 songs long, and I've eliminated entire albums because we've talked about them before. I know, right? 50! I gotta, I gotta rate it in from 50 down to two to a five and two honorable mentions. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. Come back and here if, next week. If we that? can find a spot, by golly, we'll sque- we'll squeeze in the top five of 1993 as well this year before it's over. If we can. I no love promises. 1993. See you guys next week. Thanks, guys.